Hi, this is Tom Chapman. Welcome to my virtual barbershop. In 2014, I lost a friend to suicide and I didn't even know he was suffering. This opened my eyes to mental health and the impact that it can have. It was a devastating time and I asked myself many, many questions. Why, mostly, but also what if? What if I'd realised he was struggling and asked him? Then, what if he'd said, yes, I am struggling and I'm suicidal? Would I have known what to do? No, is the honest answer, I wouldn't. But this led me to founding the charity, the Lions Barber Collective a charity to raise awareness for mental health and suicide prevention and also train hair professionals to have the confidence and know how to recognise the signs someone is struggling, ask great and direct questions, listen with empathy and without judgement and finally give them the knowledge to help them find the help they need. This award-winning endorsed training is called Barber Talk and this is why I've decided to let you listen in on the conversations I have in my chair with my clients and this podcast is the same name, Barber Talk, Tales from the Chair. This podcast will hopefully showcase that the barber or hairdresser's chair is a powerful place to have these conversations, something most of you will be able to relate to, I'm sure. We've got some great clients coming in today, but without further ado, I need to get ready for my next client and that hair does not sweep itself. See you later. Who's, uh, who's next on the list? When was your last holiday? Uh, my last holiday was May 2019, and I went to Disney World for three weeks. It was wow! Divine. What an amazing coincidence! Because your next client, who is already incredibly well coiffured, is a, a bit of a Disney expert. He's no Mickey Mouse. This chap, uh, podcaster, motivational speaker. It's only Lou Mangello. You've got to be joking. One of my heroes, I've followed him for years. I cannot wait to get this man in the chair. Get snipping. Hi, Lou. Good to see you. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. No problem. Would you like to come over and take a seat and we'll discuss what we're going to do to your hair? We'd love it. So, so what's the plan for your hair today then, Lou? You normally keep yourself quite well groomed. <laughs> uh, unless you think it's time for a change, I'll just uh, I'll stick with the, with the regular. No problem. We can make you look dapper. Right. As a, as a Disney nerd myself... Uh, mostly a Disney theme park addict. Um, I've known of you and listened to you for many, many, many years. Um, I suppose the first time I listened to your podcast when I turned, my, I met my wife and turned her to the dark side. Um, well, not sure it's the dark side. It's, it could be, yeah, you know, whatever, you, however you want to see it. Um, we booked our first trip together in 2011. Um, I think in, in 2011, I also opened my first salon, and the date I opened my salon was the first of October. For uh, obvious reasons, that set that as my as my as my target date. So since then, we've been to Disney like loads and loads of times. My oldest boy is five; has been to Disney World twice and Disneyland Paris twice. Um, <laughs> I can see Rick over at the desk shaking his head over there. Um, and, and personally, you know, I've done Disney World eight times. Um, last time was in May 2019 for three weeks at the Animal Kingdom Lodge, which was divine i must say um i've done california twice i should have been in california in january because i do the la hair show every year i should have been there so i was taken from me by covid this year uh paris five times and i even had my stag do or bachelor party at disneyland paris which was when we when we went to get on the dumbo ride and the lady said how many how many children we said no just six adults Uh, i think they they found that quite entertaining so and and i also feel that we share the same love for disney cuisine and like you attractions of Sankey do in between meals um and people often ask why people don't get it people don't you know for me it's a perfect escapism it's fully immersive and it definitely recharges my mental health 
I mean, obviously you get that that question, but why why do you think Disney is so so good for people's mental health? Well, I think that's it. You know, that sense of escapism. Look, I, I it sounds ridiculous, but something happens. When you walk through that portal, that front gate of any Disney park, I think even especially Magic Kingdom, there is something about the real world that is stripped away from you. And Disney, you know, everything is intentional in in sort of controlling the environment. But there are no TVs. There are no newspapers. So other than our phones and our pockets going off, we don't have to think or worry about what is happening in the real world. And it is a place that is just... It gives you permission as an adult, right, to just go and be happy and be a kid again unapologetically. Uh, and I think that's it. And whether you go, you know, you have memories of going as a child like I do with my parents or taking my kids or going with friends or even going by myself. I think that's it. Obviously, now people realize that you're a, you're a Disney freak like me, but the people who don't know you are, um, you've, had, you've had quite the story. I mean, you're a most time author. <laughs> You've led the way in podcasting for many years. You've raised huge amounts of money for Making a Wish charity. You're a public speaker. You're a coach. You're a motivator. You created the WDW community, which I know does so much for people's mental health, mine included. You're one of the top 50 social media influencers, influencing people positively, which is nice to see, and rated, ranked number two podcast of all iTunes. Is that correct? All those things have been uh, have been true. And, and look, man, I, I have to s- just quickly stop because that's not about me. Like yeah. any of the things you just mentioned have to do with the community. I wouldn't be able to do anything if it weren't for people like you and other people listening and, and coming together that way. And, and you know, there was there was a uh, there was a time before this obviously. And I know you just mentioned your time, your family, and you speak very openly about your, your relationship with your dad and, and Disney and before that little Lou Mongello traveling from New Jersey. Uh, as, as, soon as, as soon as Disney opened, wasn't it? 1971. There was a life between that moment and before you took over you know, the whole sort of Disney community area that you work in now and make a living from it. But like, how did that move happen? Because you went from law, lawyer, law, lawyer to, to Disney. Is that right? Yeah, so it's been a very long, circuitous route. Look, since the time I was a little kid, I always thought and knew that I wanted to be a lawyer. That was always sort of the trajectory that I was on. And, and I did that and I practiced for years. And I had a an IT consulting company on the side, but I always had this love and passion for Disney. And all of this really started uh, from a late night idea about writing a book after watching infomercials, you know, at two o'clock in the morning. I said, I want to make something <laughs> once because I was always in the service business, you know, and you can only scale yourself so big. You can only sort of do the same thing. I said, oh, I want to make something once and resell it and just see if I can do it. And it was just a challenge. And all I knew about was Disney. And I just wrote the book that I wanted to read. Uh, never, ever, ever um, thinking that it would lead down, you know, this incredibly wonderful path and journey. It's just, it's just incredible. I mean, that that idea to uproot, leave a, a, a stable job and business and career behind and move all the way down to sunny Florida and, and create something out of your love for Disney, which is something that is a, a love for so many. But I suppose many, many, oh, I never thought about how I could ever make any money out of Disney unless I worked in a barbershop or Main Street, So, uh, which is where my eldest son got his first haircut, by the way. Um, but... <laughs> I just say, well, how did that? How did that happen? How did you get that the strength to say, right, I'm not going to do this anymore, and I'm going to go and take a chance on that? Well, I think it goes back to 
you know, my intent was never to make money. Like I, the, the idea of making money with the book was never even a thought. It really all, all started to happen by accident. And as this thing started to grow into a website and a community and, and podcasting back in 2005 and always continuing to try and innovate and, and do something new and fresh, all of a sudden I said, you know, there might be a business here. There, there might actually be a way that I can do it. And that that huge leap of faith, which is what it was, because at the time, just to sort of set the stage, I'm in New Jersey. I have a very, very, very comfortable job as the chief technology officer for a medical imaging company, which basically means I sat in my office and played on my computer all day. I had health <laughs> benefits. <laughs> you know, I had two young kids. I just overpaid for my forever house. But there was this fear of not failure, but of regret that if I didn't give this a legitimate shot by literally going all in and burning the boats and going down to Florida and giving this a shot, I was afraid that time would go by and I would regret not giving it a shot. So I said, mm -hmm. look, even if I do it and it doesn't work, I will learn, I will adjust, I will do what I have to do to make sure that my family eats. And, and fortunately, you know, knock on wood, thank God, it, it's all worked out. My family still eats, you know, two or three times a week, but, but they eat. <laughs> well, only they come on the uh, dining reviews. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, you know, that, that must have been, that must have been a big thing for you. You know, it's obviously it's your decision to do it. You've got a really supportive family around you. It must have been a big thing for the mental health. I mean, obviously it was your mental health that made you do this decision because your mental health was making you think, what if, what if I don't do this? I'm going to always regret something. And I do, I do believe it's better to regret the things you've done than the things you haven't. Um, but, you know, did you have a good, your mental health and support network when you lit up, you know, uprooted and moved all the way down there. Did it affect your mental health at all? Was there any doubt in yourself, sleepless nights, those kind of things? All those things that you mentioned um, have been and continue to be part of the journey. Look, you know, being an attorney was something I, I worked for for so many years. And when you start practicing and realizing that it's not what you see on TV and you wake up in the morning and you dread going to work and you can't wait for the day to be over so that you can work on that side thing, that hobby, that passion project, something's wrong because that's not the way it's supposed to be. You know, I think especially now in this day and age where we have the tools and opportunity and so many of the gatekeepers are, are gone in terms of being a content creator. You don't have to wait for somebody to give you an opportunity. I, I hated that feeling of, of dread every day. I wanted to be excited for what I was doing every day. And it's interesting because as I was going down the path, yes, my family was incredibly supportive. Look, my dad, I worked in my dad's firm. And when I said, look, I want to leave and give this IT consulting company thing a try, he didn't say anything. I'm going to cry. He didn't say anything other than go, go give it a shot. You'll always have a place to hang your hat. When I said that I wanted to move down to Florida and uproot and talk about Disney World, they were incredibly supportive. Same thing with my wife and my kids were very young. But I did have some people who were not so supportive. And I literally remember having a conversation with my forever friend, you know, my longtime friend since I was a little kid saying, you know, this is what I was gonna, gonna, going to do. And he's like, wait a minute, 
Like, I sort of get the fact that you sit by yourself and you talk about Mickey Mouse for an hour a week and you got your little book and your little website. But you mean to tell me you're going to give up a six-figure job with benefits, a big house, lose money, bring money to your closing to move to Florida and try and figure out how you're going to make this a job? And I'm like, yeah, isn't that awesome? He goes, I give you six months. He goes, you're going to be back here begging for a job in six months. And that was incredibly eye-opening to me because I think – for a lot of people that that want to go down these entrepreneurial journeys, you will have some people that are supportive and then believe and then don't either because they don't understand it. Or maybe I think there's also some envy and jealousy because they're not able or or don't have the the vision to be able to, to take that type of a, a chance. Yeah, they think that that fear has got a hold of them and they're jealous of that, that you can break free of that and do that. And I think that is a shame. It is a shame when you see people, I think I always try to be supportive and want to be with my children. Like your father was with yours. I think it's so important to have that safe, feel safe. And that allows you to then go and do what you will, you know, try things and achieve things. Well, you talk about fear, look, and, and mental health. Look, I think fear is a great motivator. I am motivated by fear every single day. Mm. And what I mean by that is it is not a fear of, of necessarily failure, but of regret. And, and that is part of the thing that keeps you going. And I think that's from a, a, a perception perspective, how you look at fear can mm. either, you can let it dominate you or you can let it motivate you. Like I live in fear because if I don't do my job and I don't do well, my kids really won't eat. <laughs> you know, yeah. I won't be able to pay my mortgage. So, but it's also, there's something exciting about that too. Yeah, and I think that is, uh, and I, I, I um, myself, um, uh, entrepreneur as such, I've done lots of different things, and I think that's something that you know, sometimes I have those days where you think, oh, I wish I could just go work in the supermarket. I know how much I'm going to get. I don't have to worry about anything else. I can turn off at five p.m. when I finish, and I can. But I know for a fact, within twenty-four hours of doing it, I would be coming up with some crazy idea of how I could do something in the supermarket. I don't know, market for something. I don't know, come up with something. I don't know, I couldn't do that. And I think I'm very grateful for that because of the way my parents looked up to me and uh, looked after me and encouraged me in that way through their through their careers. And they did everything from restaurants to film industry to TV to all sorts of stuff. So, yeah, I think it's really important that that, ne- that environment you're brought up in. And you speak really openly about your relationship with your father. You already have done a few times today. Um, and, you know, and your emotions, you talk about your emotions, you talk, you already said you might, t- <laughs> you know, you're going to cry today on this podcast. And you talked about tearing up when you saw uh, Millennium Falcon at Batu, which I must say, when I walked around the corner in, in California and I saw that last year, it was a pretty emotional moment. Um, but do you think it's getting easier for men to talk? Or do you think there's still a stigma around that? You know, I see it on in both ways. Uh, I think now, I, I think what the internet and communities and podcasts and, and all these other mediums and forums, <clears throat> excuse me, have allowed us to do is is given, it's let us know that whatever it is that we're thinking or feeling or experiencing, we're not alone, that yeah. there is somebody else out there. So if you are a dude like me that wears your heart on your sleeve and, and has no, you know, you don't ever have to, there's nothing to be ashamed or embarrassed about. I, I think it's it's um, it's healthy to be expressive of your emotions because I know some people on the opposite side of that spectrum. Like they are stone faced no matter what is going on. And mm. and I don't know if it's maybe this, like you said, maybe the way that they were brought up that you just don't show emotions. But um, I, I do. I think that there's now support systems and it's okay and it's encouraged. 
um, yeah. to to allow yourself to express yourself that way rather than trying to to bottle it all up all the time. I think you make a key point there. It's um, other people realize that you're going through it. And I think there's, there's, there's the internet, it can be a, a bad place where people, um, there's lots of negativity, lots of trolling. There's lots of things like you said something recently on one of your podcasts about Twitter. You never like Twitter as much because people can be anonymous on it. Whereas Instagram and Facebook, you have to be yourself. Therefore, it gives people the ability to troll and be nasty. And, and people don't see it as real, even though you isn't another real person at the end of the other end of that. Um, uh, yeah, comparison is the thief of joy. I always feel, you know, you could have the best day in the world. You come home and you look online and someone's had a better day than you, you know, whatever it may be. Um, but also you've used social media so well um, to promote positivity. Your your podcast is always positive about Disney. It's always positive about the people listening to it and how you can achieve and you talk about, you know, turn what you love into what you do. And it's always a really, it's a, it's a, you leave listening to it on a high because your positivity and that is really infectious. Can you like, how could other people use their, in their, their social media to have a more of a positive impact on, on those who are impacted by it, those who see it and read it? You know, it's funny you, you talk about things like Twitter and, and for years I've been accused of, Many things, but, you know, whether it's being disingenuous or a shill for Disney, like there's no way some dude could be this positive about everything all the time. And I am like, it's just who I am. It's not a conscious choice. It's not a persona or a character online versus offline. Like the person I am in real life is the person I am online. And whether you like me or not, that that is who I am. And I live that way because why would I want to live otherwise? Why would I want to be unhappy? It's so easy to be unhappy and miserable. And, and this sort of accidental mantra that I have of, of choosing the good is something that I realized, you know, a year or two ago, that's just sort of the way I am. Like if I, whether it's going to Disney, go to a restaurant, go to a movie, like I'm paying for something that I'm hoping to enjoy. Why would I not try and find <laughs> the best possible part of it? Sure, yeah. everything might not be perfect, but so what? Like I want to have that positive takeaway from it. And look, I, I think positivity is contagious. You know, I, I talk yeah. all the time about throwing that pebble in the pond and there's that ripple effect. And sometimes we don't realize just how far those ripples, those rings and the ripples go to not just impact you, but somebody that you touch and that it continues on past that person. And I never set the show out to, to be anything other than just an extension of who I am. But I do want people to leave the, the episode feeling happy, feeling positive, maybe even feeling a little bit inspired. And, and look, I think you probably know as a podcaster, certainly as a speaker, when I tell people that you never know who's listening – that's yeah. not a warning. That that is that is a, a gift because you don't necessarily know how what you say or what you do might impact somebody. Yeah. And something that you might think is something. Look, you know. I mean, I, look. I watched your TED talk, man, and I was very moved by it. I was like, I am. If I have to fly to England, I am doing this guy's podcast because <laughs> I was incredibly moved by that. So, thank you. Lee. Whether you're talking about Disney or haircuts or you know anything mm -hmm. else. You don't know that. And, and as I start to get older, you know, words like legacy start to creep in. And and I do want to hopefully leave a, a positive trail behind me. Yeah, well, you've definitely done that. And, you know, I always you touch on something that I, I've 
learned in the last few years as well is like never underestimate your actions now or how they will affect yourself and others in the future the, the, the trail that you leave behind you and a lot of my opportunities that i've i've had in my life are from things that i did a few years ago that i that i don't even remember doing but i was behaving in a certain way and the people come at me oh when we met you a few years ago that's why we gave you this opportunity to do this this and this and i think you 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 know that pebble in the water analogy is fantastic because it does it goes out this conversation we're having now may affect somebody that we don't know may give them that that lift to get them out of bed or whatever it may be and do what they want to do and you know, whenever I do any media or anything around the Lions Barber Collective and the suicide prevention work, I always say, look, that reaches one person and that one person calls somebody or tells somebody that they're struggling or it you know, potentially even saves a life, then it's worthwhile. Every time you do these things, you never know who you're going to reach. And you, with your coaching, you know, the, you say the, the turn what you love into what you do. You know, you say that a lot and you do that with your coaching. Those people that you help with the coaching really take control of the entrepreneurism and take control of their dreams and go forward. I bet you see a huge change, not only in their success in that, that whatever chosen subject may be, but their their mental health and themselves as well. Yeah, the um, and, and I, the, the word coaching is always sort of like, I've never loved that word because Mentoring look at my body. I, right? <laughs> I'm certainly not, a, but I, I've always, you yeah. know, I, hindsight being 2020 like i realized that i've always liked helping people right whether it was helping them fix their computers helping them if they were in trouble with the law helping them have a better disney experience and now helping them feel the same way that i do because i think there's a lot of people that just can't get over that hump whether they have this idea and have not been able to make forward progress or they're stagnating not being able to sort of move the needle a little bit we might be sometimes surrounded by people who are incredibly mentally supportive, but aren't able to help us from a, a business perspective um, or an entrepreneurial spec- perspective. And I understand that. And and I sort of accidentally fell into this because I would meet people and want to help them do those things. Um, so it has turned into part of my business, but in terms of um, – First of all, it's incredibly rewarding for me to see somebody have that aha moment or make that shift or look at where they are now versus where they are a year ago. And it's incredible to watch. And and so as part of my coaching, I do like weekly masterminds. It's incredible to watch someone's demeanor and attitude and even sort of physical manifestations of how they feel change from one week to the next as they start to get excited and feel positive about something and all the stuff that was bothering them before starts to fall by the wayside and that negativity and, and self-doubt that sometimes is, is the most rewarding part of this for me. Well, I suppose, you know, you start, you start to give people a, a sense of self-worth, don't you? And that that's huge for your, if you have mental health and you're talking there about coaching and, you know, essentially, I thought coaching is a, is a, is a better term. I feel it's like we do with the Lions Bible collective. So our training, our Bible talk training, we train people to recognize the signs, ask the right questions, listen with empathy and without judgment. And then finally give them the knowledge to help that person find the help they need. And the biggest part of that is listening. And the, and something that we do with the training when we're teaching them that is that we like to fix and we like to solve people. And, and put it, But actually no one likes to be fixed. No one likes to be solved. No one likes to be told what to do. None of us, you know, actually what we need to do is everyone needs to, knows what they need to do to solve their own issues. Everyone needs to, everyone knows in here, in their head, what 
they need to do to solve the problems in their own life. I think what you're doing now, you're coaching is you're giving people that encouragement and that safe space to be able to realize what they want and be that supportive person, not the person that says, I give you six months, you're going to fail, but be that person like your dad who says, this, 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 it's possible, it's possible. And by doing that, you show lots of people that these things are, are possible. And, you know, obviously you're a very positive person, You've spoke about that, but it, how do you look after your mental health? Is there a way of doing that? I mean, we all know that if you exercise and diet, which are both reasonably <laughs> dirty words, you can you can look after your physical health. But if you if you uh, if you you know, how do we look after our mental health? Well, I, I think it's it's um, it my mental health, you know, to a certain degree, is almost self fulfilling, right? Because by trying to find good in things and doing good for others, it does, it, it has changed my perspective on things. So even if something bad happens, something stressful happens, because that is the way you approach life, everything is not so devastating. Everything is not so, oh my God, what am I going to do? And there's this, this huge weight on your shoulders. You know that you will find a way to do it. So I do, as I look over at, you know, my stack of, of paperwork for taxes coming up soon, like it's starting to stress me out, but I know, you know, I'll get through it and we'll work through it and it's going to be okay. And I think, you know, perception and perspective in, in everything we do in life is so very important. I think sometimes people lose that a little bit, you know, um, the world right now outside our, our, you know, somewhat quarantined walls is is a very crazy place. And I think sometimes people just lose perspective over what is important and why. I think this year, this 12 months, I'm normally traveling the world cutting hair by myself in some, I don't know, airport in Denver with, a, with no Wi-Fi and no charger and you know, a seven-hour delay. So this has been lovely because I've, I've actually made the most of it. I've, been, I've had time with my family. I put my boys to bed every night, and that's been fantastic. No FaceTime bedtimes. It's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, and I, I've tried to make the, the, the best out of that, and I've tried to be in the moment and be present and, and rather than worry about what may or may not happen and regret or think, you know, cringe at things that I may have done in the past. I'm trying to be in that moment and uh, trying to be in that time. A bit like a bit like you in the Japan pavilion, sat there <laughs> with the water trickling. And, and But those sort of moments are, those moments are so important. I mean, I think that's something that we need to address. Is there, is there, is there perhaps a space for a top 10 my, most mindful places in Disney World podcast coming up maybe? I like that idea. And I think I've, I think I've done something like top 10 places to stop and smell the roses. Yeah. I'm sure Japan was on. I, I think I mentioned Japan in, in every, every podcast. Because it is because <laughs> yeah. there are those places that you can go for no other reason that they just make you feel good. Right. Yeah. And there's no right or wrong answer. Like everybody's place might be different. It's a place of, you know, solitude while still being able to look over everything and, and just, there's a lot to it that, and I think sometimes we we negate or minimize the importance of places like that. We talked about the redoing of my office because I wanted it to be more of a place that made me feel comfortable and relaxed and surrounded by things that that bring us joy, whatever they might be. I think that's the really essential. You know, I think being in the moment, looking at what's around you, taking that in, but the solitude that you said in your own, being in your own head, and also surrounding yourself with things that give you joy. I mean, it's just such a 
a, a positive way to look at things. And I think, you know, anybody listening to, into our conversation today, you know, could have taken a lot from it, to be honest with you. But what, if there's one, one little bit of advice, I know you do the coaching, you do the training, you do public speaking. What's the one little bit of advice you could give to somebody who may be thinking, look, I've had enough of this current uh, quarantine and COVID and what's, you know, is there something you could just say to them? You know, I think, like I said, we the, the I, I will always make lemonade from lemons, right? And I think the one thing that COVID has given us, especially, you know, during things like quarantine, has been the one thing that we've all complained that we don't have enough of, which is time, right? So you've got the blessing of time right now, and you don't have to go to a physical location to start going down that path of taking that thing that brings you joy, and doing something with it. And look, and I know that that's not for everybody. You don't necessarily have to make a business out of what you love, but if it's, you know, turning it into more of a hobby or finding other people that that enjoy the same thing that you do, whatever it is, like I guarantee they're out there. Um, you just can't be afraid to start. You have to just sort of make small steps. And, and maybe the, the takeaway is you don't have to eat the whole elephant. Right. You don't have to overwhelm yourself by, well, if I want to do this, I need to do these 50 things. No, you don't like what's the first small step and then celebrate those little wins along the way, because I think sometimes we're so focused on reaching the finish line that we don't appreciate the small steps that we make in order to get there. Fantastic. And well said, Leo. Time is the most precious commodity we have. Whether you're Lou Mangiello, you're Tom Chapman, you're Kim Kardashian, whoever you are, you've got 24 hours a day. We can always make more money, but you can't make more time. So it's really, you know, really true there to just, I think we have been given that gift of time and make the most of it. And speaking of time, next time I'm, uh, I'm in Florida, could I have some of your time? Perhaps we go to the boathouse and uh, eat something. And <laughs> You don't have to ask twice, brother. I would be honored to. <laughs> what, what is the number, other than boathouse, what is the other top restaurant of yours, would you say, in Disney World? So uh, taking Boathouse out of the equation, I think the the relatively new Takumi Te restaurant in Japan yeah. is the overall best dining experience anywhere on property. Wow. Well, I know what's going to be first 188, 180 <laughs> days out from my, <laughs> when I book my next vacation or holiday to stateside. Oh, thank you. I'm just finishing up your hair. Thank you very much for a fantastic conversation. Um, would you like some hair product in it, Lee? What kind of stuff do you normally use? Absolutely. This is this may be the best haircut I've ever had and, and certainly one of the most enjoyable conversations. So I'm going to let you use whatever sort of magic potion you think will make me look best and <laughs> tallest. And tallest. <laughs> I'll get this all finished off for you. Here, uh, I should get the mirror. What do you think? Do you like the back? I love it, man. I, I love it and I appreciate you very much. Thank you ever so much, Leo. I appreciate you for uh, keeping a little bit of Disney in my life. Uh, every every single week I'm, I've got that little hit it keeps me going um, I'm just going to leave you with Rick he'll take care of the bill for you $500 for this it's not a Mickey Mouse job you know <laughs> hey <laughs> you guys take PayPal <laughs> Bitcoin preferably <laughs> thank you so much for visiting my virtual barbershop today and I hope you enjoyed what you heard I hope you enjoy your haircut too If you or anyone you know is struggling with their mental health, please take a look at the fabulous hubofhope.co.uk for all the resources in your area. 
I'm already looking forward to your next visit, but in between cuts, I would appreciate it if you could help Barber Talk Podcast out massively and give this podcast a review and five stars on iTunes to help the podcast get more visibility. Also, don't forget to subscribe and follow so you are the first to hear the conversations from the barber chair. Oh yeah, and don't forget to book him with Rick for your next appointment. Miss you already. See you in the chair soon.